0: Hey, everybody, we are here. We're in a Bible Basics series looking at some end times events. And we arrive at a time of the Great Tribulation when judgments are being poured out. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be there during that time. And if you're a Christian, don't worry. You won't be there. But we're in Revelation chapter 8. And we noted up previously the seven seals that were opened by the Lamb. And the last seal brought seven angels, each with a trumpet. And every time an angel blows a trumpet, a judgment comes upon the earth. So just for a quick review in Revelation 8:6, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Remember the first trumpet? Hail in blood first one sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown into the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All the grass was burned up. Wow. A third of the earth, the trees, the grass. Man. He said it was similar to the plagues of Egypt in Exodus 9.22. Then we have the second trumpet. Meteor. Hit the earth and water turned to blood. Second angel sounded and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Boy, that is a major catastrophe. A third of the sea turns to blood. A third of the fish died. Think about the ships, the cruise ships. The Navy vessels, the fishing ships, the cargo ships, everything that's out there, a third of them, they all sunk. And then the third angel comes out, the third trumpet, a falling star. The third angel sounded in verse 10, a great star fell from heaven, it was burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So what a scene that is, isn't it? A third of the rivers, a third of the waters became bitter. People drank it and they died. And perhaps gases from the star poisoned the water. Wormwood was a poisonous, bitter herb. It wasn't good. Then the fourth angel came out. He blew the fourth trumpet. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, they were all struck. So that a third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Wow, so it was like four hours are missing from the day. Wow, instead of a 12-hour day, it's an eight-hour day. It's an incredible thing. And then in verse 13, John said, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in midheaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. What he's saying is we got three more angels and you ain't seen nothing yet. (coughs) As bad as it was, it's going to get worse. And then the fifth trumpet, the keeper of the key, angel. Here's an angel in charge of a certain key. The sixth trumpet contains the third woe. Remember we said woe is an exclamation of grief. We find ourselves in Revelation 9 verse 1. The fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And remember that word fallen, piptoe? It doesn't mean he was cast out of heaven. It means he came out of heaven like a little bird that that just kind of like hops on the ground. When Jesus said, "Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground without the Father's knowledge. The word fall to the ground is pipto. Doesn't mean he's cast to the ground. So this is one of God's angels. And he comes to the earth, and he's got a key. And he opens the bottomless pit in verse 2, and smoking up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun... And all the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Man, talk about pollution. This is bad. And then this angel shows up a second time in Revelation 20 where he binds Satan. And he throws him into that pit for a thousand years during the Millennial Kingdom. So this angel, he opens up the bottomless pit. And guess who comes out? In the smoke comes locusts upon the earth. And power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. This is the first woe. So that's the first judgment. Now, the next judgment. We ended with the first woe. Let's take a look. What are the next two woes? The next two woes are worse than the first. Remember the bottomless pit? I want to clarify something too now. We've got to understand the underworld, okay? And I'm just going to review again because it's important. The bottomless pit is not hell. The bottomless pit is not the lake of fire. It's a bottomless pit. Remember we have Tartarus, the the dark prison of the angels that sinned? And Genesis 6 and Jude 6 talks about them as well. Hell is the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. Uh, paradise is one side of Hades, torments is the other. Paradise is in heaven, torments are still there. That's where unbelievers go. We got to get all of these things straight in our head, okay? So this bottomless pit is another holding tank. And out come the locusts. Power was given to them like these great scorpions and they're sent to the people of the earth who are not protected by God. Verse 4. See, everything is under the control of God. As bad as it is, God is still in control, and this is why. Because verse 4 says, They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who's in charge? God Almighty. He's in control of these scorpions, scorpion-type creatures. And he's saying, listen, you don't touch the people of God. The 144,000, you don't touch them. They're protected. But you can go after those that have the seal of Satan. They got the mark of the beast. Feed yourself. It's a feeding frenzy on the people of Satan. See, when people live for the devil, they think, oh, yeah, man, this is good. It's not good. It's never good. It'll never be good. There's always a price to pay. So it seems like these scorpion-type creatures, they had some form of intelligence, in order to listen and to do so. They were not permitted to kill anyone. Verse five, but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now it's interesting, five months. That's you know, that's the season of locusts. So these scorpions I I, I think they're more like demons. They're demons that were somehow being held in the bottomless pit, and they're released. Because you know what demons do? They torment. That's what they do. And these demons will torment, but not kill. It's going to be so bad, people are going to want to die. But they won't be able to. That's pretty bad. That's pain. When you want to die, and you won't be able to die. John describes these locusts like horses prepared for battle. Faces like men, hair like women, teeth like lions, breastplates of iron, and the sting of a scorpion. Man, I mean, I don't know what demons look like, but I'll tell you what. John is describing something. Maybe it looks like a war machine to make war with these people of the earth. But what we know is, if it came out of the, bottom of the bottomless pit, it's no good. And God's people are protected. I love that. I love the fact that even in the tribulation, where God's people will be, they will be protected from these things. No weapon formed against them will prosper. I like that. Verse 11, Revelation 9. They're king, they have a king, they have a leader. His name means destroyer. He's the angel of the abyss. Think about this. As God sent his destroying angel over Egypt at the Passover, so now Satan has an angel of death, perhaps a high-ranking demon. This is the first woe. So even though the demons are under Satan, everything's under God. Okay? Don't forget that. Everything is under God. Because God is almighty. God is all-powerful. And God allows things to happen because he has a plan. And he has a purpose. And don't you worry. In the end, he'll be glorified. Oh, yes, he will. So that's the first woe. Demonic attack upon the earth but not affecting the people of God. So John said in verse 12, The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Two more. Then we have the sixth trumpet, the second woe. And you know what that one is? Another war. Another one. In verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This is so cool. This is incredible. The altar of sacrifice, right? And one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now these angels were prepared for this hour for this month and for this day. Now, was it by God or the devil? I don't know. But they released an army of 200 million for the destruction of one-third of men. Another third of mankind was killed. So, originally, one-third of men died, and now what's left, one-third of that population dies. Those who did not die in the war, they still did not repent of their evil, their idolatry, and their immorality. You know, I'm like, sometimes, what does it take people to repent? Remember when Katrina hit New Orleans with the Great Flood, and it wiped out, basically, downtown New Orleans? Now, the Mardi Gras were were ended at that point. But well, you know, the Mardi Gras, right? This is just my own personal limited observation because I've never been there and I have no intention of going. But the Mardi Gras is a really, to me, an unrestrained activity. It just seems like, uh, you know, alcohol abuse, maybe drug abuse. I don't know. Sexuality, immorality. It just seems to have its way. And when Katrina hit and, and destroyed the place for a while, flooded the place out, the things people were saying were, we're coming back. We're coming back, and we're bringing back the Mardi Gras. You know, No one saw it as, you know what? Maybe God is trying to show us that this is not the right way to live. And the Mardi Gras, they're back in full form again. Oh, yeah, they're back. And I wonder if, if that's a sign of, like, what's going to happen, happen in the tribulation. As bad as it's going to get, people are still not going to repent. They're going to be like, oh, no, man, you can't stop us. Ain't no stopping us now. We're going to live the way we want, and nobody is going to stop us. Then we have an interval. The angel told of the two witnesses that will preach to the people of the earth. Elijah who never died. Remember him? He called down fire from heaven. He also shut up the heavens from rain. He had some power, that guy. Oh, yes, he did. And then Moses. Moses brought the plagues upon Egypt. So I believe that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that are going to come back in the Great Tribulation. Here's another reason. Both of them appeared at the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember when Jesus went up on that mount He took Peter, James, and John? And his garments were glowing bright white like he was in his glory. And Moses and Elijah appeared and ministered to him. And Peter jumped up and said, oh, let's camp out. This is great. Let's stay here. Let's build a tent for Moses, a tent for Elijah, and a tent for Jesus. And then, boom, they disappeared. And God the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. So, I don't know, I think there's a a good reason that Moses and Elijah might be the two that come back, and they'll preach for three and a half years, and then they'll be killed. They'll die again. And the people will exchange gifts in celebration of their death. It'll be like a new kind of Christmas. See, we exchange gifts in honor of the birth of Christ. They're going to exchange gifts in honor of the death of the two witnesses Moses In the, they'll be separate they'll be celebrating those guys are finally dead. What a pain they were. Listen to that message, repent. Jesus is king of kings and Lord of Lords. We don't want to hear that. they're going now. let's celebrate, and they buy presents and they have Black Friday and they give gifts. <laughs> And their bodies will lie in the street for three days. The bodies are just going to lie there. People will be gazing at them. And then you know what's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to come back to life. I'm like, what? They're coming back to life. And they'll ascend into heaven. I love it when God's in control and he does stuff to amaze people. And then a great earthquake will occur and it'll destroy a tenth part of Jerusalem. Wow. Earthquakes. How do you escape an earthquake? I don't think you can. You can't go in a building. You can't go outside a building. Where do you go? It's like everybody's a victim to an earthquake. All you can go is like in a hot air balloon, maybe. Float above it somehow. And then we have the seventh trumpet. The third woe. The announcement that Christ would now take his kingdom. And this is now the pouring out of the seven vials, or bowls of judgment. Man, we had seven seals, seven trumpets, now we've got seven bowls of judgment. The first bowl is going to be boils, representative of the sixth plague in Egypt. Revelation sixteen one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, "Go and pour out on the earth, the seven bowls of the wrath of God." So the first angel went, poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people, who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. So they break out in boils. The second bowl, the sea became blood. The third bowl. Rivers and springs became blood. The fourth bowl, the sun was scorched. Or the sun scorched the earth with fire. And you know what happened? The people, instead of repenting again, they blasphemed God. They cursed God. Man, you, know, you 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 know the satan followers that when things go against them they curse god isn't it interesting how the atheists will blame god for things that go wrong in their life but yet they don't acknowledge god any other time i'm like what's wrong with that picture how come you don't believe in god but yet when things go wrong you blame him you blame him for all the ills of the world of the world and yet you don't believe in him that's insanity Then the fifth bowl. Darkness, just like the ninth plague in Egypt, remember? Darkness was over all the land. The fifth bowl is poured out. Can you see the bowl? The contents darkness is coming out of the bowl. It's covering the whole earth. Maybe like chocolate syrup. And no one can see. And then the sixth bowl. The Euphrates River dries up. And demons gather an army at Armageddon. Wow. This is an incredible thing. I mean, only, I, I don't even know if words do justice to what is depicted here. When you think about all of these judgments, after all the judgments that came, that follow the judgments that preceded them, on and on and on they come. This is why it's the Great Tribulation. And then the seventh bowl is poured out, another earthquake, hailstones that weigh 100 pounds. Can can you picture the devastation of a 100-pound hailstone? Sometimes we have hailstones, and they come down the size of baseballs. We've seen them on the news, right, and the damage they cause destroying crops and denting cars and things like that. And that's a baseball. What does that weigh, a pound? I don't know. 100-pound hail, that's going to be like nuclear bombs. What can withstand? I mean, imagine if if bowling balls fell out of heaven, the big ones. Picture the big bowling balls, the 10-pin bowling balls. And they all fell out of heaven like a hailstone. What would that be like? How bad? And I don't know what they weigh. What do they weigh? 15 pounds? 16 pounds maybe? Something like that, the big ones? These weigh 100. If a 16-pound hailstone bowling ball would destroy everything it hits, what hope is there when 100-pound hailstones hit the earth? So as you can see, the trumpet judgments— The woes and the bold judgments, they still harden the hearts of men. They don't repent. They refuse to acknowledge God. They only acknowledge Him and blaspheming Him, cursing Him. That's it. That's all they can do. See, that's what happens when your heart is hard. Like the rock of Gibraltar. You know, can you get to a place in life where your heart is so hard, there's no turning back? I, I think so. You think Judas Iscariot got to that place? That he, why didn't he turn back? Guilt consumed him. There's no turning back. I think Judas is a good example. And now we've got in the Great Tribulation, the rest of the population. There are those that, yes, accept Christ, thankfully, and then there are those, sadly, that refuse. Those that accept die by the sword, basically, and those that refuse, they they die by hellstone, (laughs) death by hellstone. So, better to die because you're faithful and believing in Christ than die because you rejected Christ that doesn't make any sense. But these people, they're not too smart. They're not too smart because they, they just continue to go through the judgments. And they suffer the consequences. Well, that's enough on the judgments. Next time we're together, we're going to talk about something more positive. We're all done talking about what's going on down here on planet Earth during the tribulation. But next time, we're going to talk about, oh, what's going on in heaven during the tribulation? What do you think's going on in heaven? I think there's a couple of things going on. Number one, we've got the Bema Seat Judgment. It's where all church-age Christians go, and they stand at the Bema Seat, called the Judgment Seat of Christ, and they get their rewards. Gold, silver, precious gems, wood, hay, and straw. So the believers are at the bema seat in heaven for seven years, and the unbelievers, the rejecters, they're in the tribulation for seven years. And then at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, we have what's called the marriage of the Lamb. The Father is going to say to the Son, Son, here's your bride. And he's going to present the church. And Jesus is going to say, Thank you, Father. She's beautiful. And Jesus will take us as his bride, speaking of the most intimate relationship that we can have with Christ. And then after the marriage of the Lamb, that's when we have what is called the second coming. The second coming of Christ. That's why you've got to understand eschatology. That's why there is a rapture. Because we go up to meet Christ and we're married to Christ. We're presented to him. We get our rewards. We get our linen robes, which is the righteous acts of the saints. And then we come back, the Bible says, on white horses and the second coming of Christ. And Jesus, through the baptism of fire, eradicates the earth of all unbelievers. They're gone. And he establishes his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So, I'm looking forward to being with you next time. Oh, the marriage of the Lamb. This is what we're living for. Just like when a young lady's engaged, right? What's on her mind? The wedding day. As a Christian, you're engaged to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the pledge of God. The Holy Spirit in you is like the diamond engagement ring. And we should be living our lives in such a way that we are anticipating being presented to Christ as his bride. Live that way. Live your life. Be faithful. Be pure. That's what you would want your engaged spouse to be during the engagement, right? Faithful and pure. That's what Christ would want us to be as well. Faithful and pure for him. Living our lives focused on the marriage of the Lamb.